Welcome to episode 100 of Red Board Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganville, and today my special guest is a tournament pro who tried his luck at the Mammoth Picker Prize this weekend. His name is Dylan Donnelly, and me and Dylan go over four races from this past Saturday's Mammoth card, those races being 7, 8, 11, and 13. And some angles that we talk about are just tournament play in general, why the Monmouth Pick Your Prize is probably one of the best tournaments if you're trying to get into the NHC or BCBC. 26 players got an entry this year. And why betting on first-time out winners off long layoffs coming back could be the wrong idea. This is Redboard Rewind. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week's big, big episode, episode 100 of Redboard Rewind. It's Dylan Donnelly. Dylan, how are you today? Doing, doing very well. How are you doing today? I'm hanging in. Uh, it's, I'm guessing it's hot out where you are. For me, it's a pretty hot day out here in New York. But uh, we had some pretty good racing over the weekend. You were in the uh, Monmouth Pick Your Prize over at Monmouth Park. Obviously, a bunch of new stuff going over there with the whip rule in effect, etc. Uh, how was your weekend overall over there? Uh, so I actually, I actually didn't go to Monmouth. We had a, uh, I was at the Belmont, but I had to come home early a couple, two days early. Uh, we had some, uh, issues with babysitting our new pets. Mm -hmm. So the family was kind of missing them. So we kind of had to come home, uh, line and, uh, didn't have any success in it, but, uh, it was cool. It was a good, it was a good tournament. I like it. I always feel like when, when I, for me, I'm a fledgling tournament player. I just kind of restarted trying to get back into it. I feel like of all the tournaments I want to play to get to NHC or BCBC, this is the main one I'd want to try for because I think they said something like 15 or 20 people get, get seats b based on how many people show up. Yeah. I mean, I think there was 26 people that got seats for it or something like that. Um, that was, uh, but I didn't, I didn't get in, uh, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I, I I really put this on the calendar to try to uh, to try to make it in as an easy uh, easy get in. Not easy, but low uh, you know the percentage wise, low ratio. Mm -hmm. Couldn't get it in. Well. What uh what kind of tournaments do do you like to play? Are you more of like obviously there's live events, there's live bankroll, there's pick and pray. What kind of what kind of things are you into? Uh, so I just like I've only been getting into the the live bankroll for like the last year. Mm -hmm. My first. My second one was the BCBC, and I had I actually luck I lucked out and uh, got third in that one. And I've been trying to play in all the big ones uh, recently, but still trying to fine tune my strategy for that. Um, it's it's pretty crazy you just see some of the same names at the top, and uh, there's a strategy for it. I'm just trying to learn it and uh, get better. But I like to play on horse tourneys. I like to play the uh, heads up uh, heads up pick and praise. Um, and uh, some of those, like they have like a $175 pick and pray one at just one track. I'll find some of the cash ones, but I like the heads up pick and praise. And uh, yeah, those are my main ones. 
for me, I've just kind of started off super small bankroll. The, the five, even the five dollar guaranteeds. I think the prize pool is fifty, thirty five, fifteen. So, I mean, if you play twenty tournaments and get like a hundred dollars, you know, in you only got to win two out of twenty to you know break even and be somewhat profitable. I think that's just such a great, great way. And also, you know, instead of you know trying to play that pick four or pick five for, you know, 50 to a hundred dollars, you can play a little $5 tournament and be good for, you know, six, seven, eight races for the day. Definitely. If you like action that you can get those, those, uh, those tournaments in there, it doesn't matter what the buy-in is it's action and, uh, for all day long. And, uh, those are really good. I, I, I try to get some other people into them. I think it's, it's a really good way to start the tournaments, uh, like just to learn them. And uh, with low bankroll, and then you can just move your way up. Um, I started off with like just yeah, five twelve dollar ones. Um, I bumped it up a little bit, but um, yeah, horse journeys—they got some really good tournament slates on there. For you in general, obviously finishing third in the BCBC, and what was your second ever live event? Do you kind of feel like I don't know if you've ever qualified for NHC, but do you have like a favorite? Would you rather like if you could right now, if you could, you know? Pick either, or would you be an NHC guy or a BCBC guy? Uh, probably BCBC because I think that's more. I I think I'm. I know I'm better at stakes races, mm-hmm. like higher quality races. I, I know my ROI is a lot better in those races. Um, they just seem to be more formful, and just I have a pretty good understanding of them of those types of horses. So I I'd pick the BCBC. I've only qualified for the NHC once. I've tried a couple times. Like last year was my first one. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to the one in August this year. Um, I'm not qualified for 2022 yet, but I'll try and get there. You, you said stake races are your best races. What What do you think gives you that advantage? And are there any specific angles that you just kind of feel over the last couple of years have just been kind of mainstays in your handicapping, you know, toolbox? Uh, you know, I don't, it's, it's a good question. It's, it's, I just think there, there's, I don't know, less surprises um you know there's i got no problem betting making a win bet on a seven to two shot um if, if you really like the horse and i just feel like there's less surprises more formful um i just less less surprises um and you just kind of you see those horses run a lot you kind of understand the story of the horse um you know some of these horses you look at them you're like i remember all 10 of their races and they're running mm-hmm. in, you know, grade twos and stuff like that. So you just, you know them, you know the story and it just, it just seems to piece the puzzle a little bit easier. So, so I would take it then that probably maiden races are your least favorite just because there are so much more, you know, form reversals and just big jump ups, et cetera. Not maiden races. I don't really like claiming like, like claiming races. Um, just like, uh, like open, like open claimers, open, you know, 20,000, mm-hmm. 12,000, um, see, I tend to usually, I try to stick to like the West Coast, Santa Anita a lot, like West Coast and Naira, because I feel like there's less horses coming in from so many different tracks, and they just it's they're hard to keep up with. Like I don't really play the fairgrounds. I don't like they just Oaklawn. It's it's just they come in from so many different circuits, and it's and it's just tough to get a gauge on if you if you play, you know three, four days a week. So, um, I, I kind of stick to West coast and, and, and New York racing. I know there's some other horses coming in from other circuits in New York, but it's kind of, kind of mostly those local mainstay horses. 
I, I totally get your point, though. It's tough. I mean, even Monday night, I was itching for some action, so I played a Mountaineer tournament. And, you know, I have horses shipping in from Penn National and Charlestown, which obviously are both weaker tracks, but I'm sure one probably ends up doing better than the other at Mountaineer. And, you know, that's why when we read all these different handicapping books and people say, you know, follow one circuit, and people, I think people think they know what when someone says that, but I, again, also like, they eat, sleep, and breed specific tracks. Like, if you look at guys like Penny South Street for Southern California or Andy Serling for Naira, I mean, these guys know if there's an N2, a non is a two-lifetime, this horse is 26 starts. They know every start of that of that 26, you know, starts for the horse. Sure. Yeah, no, that's that's a very good point. Um, I mostly know, I mean, I, I think I know a lot of the, most of the horses on the West Coast, not Naira. Um, but yeah, I just, it's hard to get into those where there's just a bunch of different horses coming from different areas. And it's just, uh, I think it's just losing ROI over the long run. Let's kind of talk about some, some of your favorite angles, obviously being a Santa Anita Del Mar type guy. What are some of your. Uh, that's what I was thinking about like angles. I don't really know. Like, uh, I mean, I, I like speed. Um, uh, I like speed horses cause it's easy to, it's, Come catch me. That's kind of my thing. Um, I'll tell my friends, like, who do you have? And I'm like, who do you think I have? And they're like, and they guess I got the horse in first or second. Um, I, I don't really have any favorite angles that I, that I have. Um, I just, every race is a different, is a different puzzle. And I try not to have favorite things like that. Um, just cause you can kind of get sucked into it. Like, Oh, I always do this or it's my, one of my favorite things. So I'm kind of always evolving and trying to pick up new small things. I don't really think I have a favorite, favorite thing, except for kind of speed. I guess that would be it. Well, I mean, obviously, especially out there on the Santanita dirt, always does help to be first or second. Uh, Yeah. Let me get your opinion on Pratt. For me, I think he's a top three rider uh, in the country. I think he could rival Irad. Me and uh, my friend Vinny from Real Dynasty Picks always says, you know, I'd love to see those two face off at a neutral track like Keeneland. And just see how well they could both do. I mean, the way Pratt rode over the Belmont weekend was just stunning and obviously had the nice win in the Preakness this year as well. Yeah, that guy is pretty insane. Um, he just seems to never get buried, never goes to, uh, never goes wide. He's just always pushing the right buttons. And I don't even – I don't tend to make a big deal about jockeys. Um, there's some who just I'm kind of snake bitten from. But – Dude, that guy is just always in the right positions, and he's just seems like he's never he never waits to make his move. He he's just he's always just right there when and when he pushes the button, his horse just I don't know that guy's that guy's magic. My son, who's 11 years old, <laughs> like we go to Santa Anita, and he's like, oh man, I don't have Flavian in this race. And it's, <laughs> it's pretty funny because he's just one of the days. I think it was a Friday. I think he had six. It was either five or six winners that day, and. Uh, and he was just, this guy wins everything. Um, but he's just, like I said, he's always in the right position. He's, I don't think he ever gets hooked up in a speed duel or he's just, I've never been like, what are you doing? I've never said that to him. Yeah. What are you doing in this? And, he's just, and even with like Joel and I ride, there's still some of those, like just Tyler Gaffley there's, there's those head scratching rides where you're just kind of like, like you're 26%, but you're buried like some of the 4% bug riders on the, on the circuit right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, Mike, Mike Smith, he, uh, I mean, he's won every, every race known to man that's ever written, but 
I don't know. That guy, that guy is a wide in every single race, and, and uh, except for in the Justa game when he snuck up the rail. Yeah, right. And, uh, I never, some, somebody, somebody made a tweet. It was like, "I'm going to need a DNA test to make sure that was Mike Smith on that horse." And I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Um, he said, "Maybe he's just at the point in his career where he's like, hey, 'Hey, I'm not, I'm not risking anything, going to the rail, diving down, and getting stuck in. If my horse is good enough, I'm going wide, and if he wins, he wins.'" So. You, you always hear that quote of like, he thinks that every horse is on his yada again that's going to come from 25 back and uh, it, it's also i think though at this point like if you see mike is on your horse at this point nine out of ten of his rides are wide and in the clear so if why if, if the rail is good just don't pick mike that day and yet you still see people are like bet mike smith again he went wide again the rail was golden i just think like you said at this point in his career i don't think he wants to dive down in the rail and get you know, some crazy things that happened down there. I think he's just, you know, yeah. if my horse is the best, he's going to go for it. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, like, I don't tend to be like, put a big, uh, put a big thing into jockeys because, you know, I bet you if you put Joel on any horse in the race, he's, he, the horse is going to run its race. If you put any other jockey on it, the horse is going to run its race. There's little small percentage that they're going to improve it, but mm-hmm. Mike Smith rode a horse, uh, Royal ship. Um, we broke from the rail and I was like, okay, he can't manage to be that wide in this race. <laughs> and I mean, you can go back and watch it. And, uh, but I like, I, I don't like to criticize either. Cause yeah. I've never rode a horse. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, I don't know what it feels like to be on that horse to know when to push the button. So that's why I don't really, it sucks. It sucks to criticize and, and do that. But, um, that one I was like, really, come on. Well, so. I, I think too, I, I think it's not even the fact that it's criticizing. I think it's for me, the people who are criticizing just didn't handicap the race that well. And they're just looking sure. for some place to put the blame. Whereas if they, I, I was just reading in one of the, the handicapping books that I just recently picked up and they said, try to make a case for every horse in the race. And you'd be surprised how many races, if you're making your own odds line, you'll have five or six contenders instead of just the normal one or two that you think can win the race. Sure. No, that's, that's a very good point. Um, yeah, I try to I try to do a pros and cons list, a small you know pros and cons of every horse on why and why mm-hmm. they can. Just give every horse kind of the benefit of the doubt. Um, that's what I try to do. Let's try and give some benefits of the doubt right now. Let's start off with our first race of this podcast, race number seven from Saturday at Monmouth Park. It wasn't a maiden claimer, sixteen to fourteen thousand, going five furlongs on the turf. What'd you like in here, Dylan? Uh, so I actually bet the, uh, in the contest, the two horse here, um, he went off at, uh, I think like 37 to one or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought he would just be on the lead in a turf sprint and just, uh, he showed pace before, um, you know, versus maiden special weight. I know he was, you know, he was 21 lengths. He was beaten 21 lengths, but I don't really put much into that. He was a length off of a pretty fast opening quarter uh versus maiden maiden special weight so i just took a swing with uh with that horse in the race and uh i forgot where he ended up he might be still be running for for me in in this race it was it was a little bit difficult trying to figure out exactly uh for me maiden races are some of my favorite races and i was looking at she broke my heart turning back for susan crawl off the layoff and just the last race obviously something went bad because you don't run in september and then not race again until this year the races sure. two and three back seemed fine to me first and second off off the trainer switch so obviously she knew how to get this horse to run 
Obviously, having Paco on the horse and now having Castillo was a bit of a negative. But I thought the blinkers off was a little bit interesting as well. Just because they had tried the blinkers last time, obviously something happened. And now they decide no more blinkers. And I thought this one kind of run with another improvement. A, a ring thing was the favorite in this race for Kathleen DeMasi. And when you're two for four hitting the board at the class level, especially in the maiden ranks, I mean, it's hard to give, you know, three strikes, let alone, you know, the old school rule for me is 10 starts past all those horses. This one's up to seven already and had numbers that fit, but just she broke my heart who ended up actually being the overall favorite. I thought just had such better numbers overall. No, she did. She was, she was, she was faster on numbers. Uh, and, uh, she was kind of, I like the, the time form, um, the numbers, like when the, when the red numbers, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, if just kinda, even if they're in your running line, like I, I've just seen that even if they're in your running line, it's just, it's such an improvement. Like you could be, whether it's sure it helps if you're a length or two off of those. Um, but even if they're five lengths off of it and they're, they're, you say they're running fifth and they're five or six lengths off of it. I don't know. It just seems like they improve a lot in those, maybe they're not the next race or the race after that. I just, those, those red numbers in there, those red time for numbers. It just, it seems like those, those horses, they, it's just, they're fast and, and, uh, they seem to improve off of those. You would pick the number two in here, obviously, at a monster price, longest, second longest shot on the board. Uh, when you're playing in these types of contests, are you trying to find those just cap horses where, you know, I'm just going to go kind of balls to the wall and just if I hit one, I'm going to be up at the top of the leaderboard compared to someone like even me where I feel like the more 25 to one shots I play that just don't hit the board, I feel like I, my kind of bread and butter is just that four to one to nine to one range where I can really just find those second and third prices that can end up winning the race. Yeah. See, like I, I don't, I don't look for them. Um, I just, I just, you know, her best, the sources, her best buyer was a two, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't looking for anything. I mean, you know, she needed to improve definitely, but um, I just thought she could maybe, you know, skip away on the front end. And she, she, like I said, she showed, she showed pace and pace going five furlongs on the turf is that's what you need. And, uh, you know, this was her first start with Lasix sprinting, and she was dropping from that one. So, you know, she ended up running what she ran. She ran sixth, um, nowhere near the front. I, I don't remember exactly what happened in there. Um, she was four lengths off of it at the first call. So, you know, that just, just didn't work out. She did run her best buyer. She ran a 29, so she did improve, um, <laughs> but just didn't get the job done. For Donuts Thawed, for me, she broke my heart. Let's see who can break through their maiden right here, right now. And they're off. Aiken to be long has early speed. So does a ring thing towards the outside. Also in the mix is Novala. They line up. Here comes Aiken to belong with a head in front at the rail. Wow factors in the mix. And now emerging there, She Broke My Heart. And it'll be She Broke My Heart to kick on is up by three-quarters of a length. Taken back to second now is going to be Wow Factor and Aiken to belong. Gets a little tight there. Here comes a four-wide move from Novala. Out wider is a ring thing, losing some ground. That was Warrior's Blade. Tight spot for sure shot. Two towards the back, thawed and far, far back. It's Dreamer's Getaway at the back of the field. She Broke My Heart has got the lead. Inside the quarter mile pole, she broke my heart is up by a length and a half, call it two. Wow Factor is called upon, and here comes Wow Factor down towards the inside, also running on. Here comes Warrior's Blade. A ring thing starts to launch down the center of the course. She broke my heart. 
is widening on the front end. A ring thing is running up into second outside of Warrior's Blade. She broke my heart. A ring thing. She broke my heart. A ring thing. She broke my heart. Beats a ring thing. Warrior's Blade there for third. And Wow Factor in 57-1. and one. And the number six, She Broke My Heart, wins paying 660. 63 buyer does get that slight improvement back off the layoff. Like you had said, Thawd kind of ran a 29, did improve. But again, it's, we talked about it before, pace makes the race and on the lead, turf sprinting, and this one gets it done. Yeah, you know, I, she didn't, if I remember, the horse didn't even break like mm -hmm. that quick. Yeah. Just the jockey was just super aggressive and just got to the front and, uh, you know, that's she got to the front and she just improved her position. I feel like too for I know that we keep saying we're not big like you may not be as big on jockeys as I am, but that that's a key for me. It's kind of like you know when you're building your your person in a video game and it's like okay, what kind of characteristics do you have? Like I want to know that Castillo now, you know, with this horse specifically, he he tends to be you know pretty aggressive out of the gate, and then I kind of like to watch the rest of his mounts when he has speed and if he's also aggressive, it's kind of you know the. It's the Kendrick for Naira. You know, I know if Kendrick's on a speed horse, the horse is going to the lead or he's going to be second. If he's third, then the horse is probably just not that fast and there's a problem. Yeah, that's, I mean, on the West Coast, it's uh, kind of Maldonado. Um, mm -hmm. Maldonado and Jessica Pfeiffer, Emily Ellingwood. I seem to be, I seem to be making uh, a lot of bets on those, on those jockeys recently. Let's move on to race number eight. It was a optional 16 and one X six furlongs on the dirt. What are we liking here, Don? Let's see in this race. Who did I go? Oh, I went with the runner up in this race, Christopher. Um, I didn't, I thought this race was kind of wide open. I thought there was a lot of pace in this race. I know the one had some speed. Binkster had speed. The four has speed. The five showed speed in his last race. So, you know, I, I went with uh, with the horse who was uh, Christopher, who was improving. Uh, you know, the second start, she ran a 79 buyer and then uh, kind of went a little bit off form. And then uh, this was her second start off the bench and uh, ran a 73 last time in a win just at Monmouth. So I was thinking, you know, this horse, I forgot what he was, he was on the line, maybe 12 or something like that. But mm -hmm. went off a 10 to 1. And, and uh, I know I made a win bet on this horse. And, uh, it's tough making win bets on on closer sprinting. It just it, ugh, it hurts me to do it sometimes, um, just because I just I feel like I'm already at a disadvantage no matter how much pace is in the race. I just feel like just so much has to go right for you, especially in dirt and uh, you know in, in sprint races. Um, so I went with the seven horse in this race. Um, I thought that Bingster was kind of going I don't know about off form. Just her numbers were kind of going a little bit lower. Um, and it was facing, you know, tougher. So it's probably what got it done. I, I think, too, when you look at this race overall, like the first horse I kind of looked at was Paco and Pletcher with the big maiden win. And then it goes from uh, going from Chad Brown barn into, into Todd's. And I'd like to know how many times when, the, when those two switch barns either way, how much they how much better they do the next time out. I would imagine it's not that not that good. I was also on Christopher. I just I like that last race. I thought that maybe we'd see another step forward. And when you see other horses in here, Gallant Plunger losing at pretty much even money the last two races. And Bingster for me just had all the good races from Belmont and Saratoga. And then it come out, and I, I agree with you, 77 to a, to a 60. I know it's against Tougher, but, I mean, 
It's it's difficult, yeah. and at what price? I mean, is seven to two good enough to take an off form horse? I don't think so, especially not when I like a horse that's ten to one. And I I agree with what you said with those with close with closers like that. I feel like with this type, I just have to just realize to start playing win place or just backing up an exact is with other horses that I like, because if you don't do that, you just run second eight out of 10 times. And when you can back it up with an exact and hit three or four, it really kind of, you know, saves up all those, you know, missed win bets. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I if I do, I don't bet to place. Um, I, I just bet to win. Um, I know it's it's hurt me a couple of times, especially on some big, big prices that have paid thirty bucks to place and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So maybe I should when they're going to pay thirty bucks to place. But um, I just think the amount of times that if you do like a ten to one, and they do win, you just you'll get paid that much better from when they run second. Um, exact as I do like, you know, in that instance, because you know maybe you could put two horses on top of Christopher and play the exacto and bet. Christopher to win. Um, maybe the EV police tell me that's wrong, but I'm not sure. I mean, we, we talk about the EV police a lot in here and just, you know, I, I think that if it is wrong, I, I think it, it's up to just, if you do the data mining, like do a hundred races like that, are you positive? Then it doesn't matter what they think because you're still sure. positive and you know, Oh, I'm sorry. You're losing 7% ROI, but you're hitting more and you know, you're, your mindset is better then I'm okay losing seven, uh, seven points. If, if I'm honest. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. And th- about this favorite acceptable risk, I would never, ever, ever play this horse. I just off the, you know, such a long layoff and he broke his maiden. Okay. That's great. But some of these horses, like it's not the toughest field in the world, but you know, they've ran, you know, they've won four races, five races, three races. You know, I don't, I don't really get into, why they made the switch. I don't really care that they made the switch. Even if Chad was still training the horse, I would not play the horse. Um, it's just, I would never even think about it. So that's just someone, if, if he wins, he beats me. Not even improvement. Now, obviously broke the main at three and now it's first time out at four, just not even the, the mature maturation of that. Like just having the horse, you know, and obviously Getting Paco, I mean, when you get Gallardo, it's pretty much the same thing almost. You know, Gallardo is such a good jockey down at Tampa. Yeah, see, I just – I'm never betting the horse to win. I'm never picking the horse in a tournament. So I'm just never – sure, like if there's if I'm playing – if it's in a pick five or sequence mm-hmm. or pick six sequence, then, you know, I'll, I'll take another look at it and using it as a, as a C or something like that. Um, and maybe if the horse ran a – you know – 105 buyer and these were just a complete rats that he was running against i would single but i'm never making a win bet i'm never picking him in a contest sort of play for me and for dylan it is a consensus pick with christopher let's see who gets it done here in the eighth at monmouth park right now and they're off speed from in between horses there's powerfully built and now emerging is acceptable risk acceptable risk and powerfully built they're one two pace duel on the front end insight is at the rail in third gets past to the outside from noontime gem also in that group comes binkster these are the front five hustled along our man luke gets past to the outside by gallon plunger and the one at the back it's christopher four furlongs left to go powerfully built with a head in front acceptable risk under a snug hold is ready to pounce right now to the outside too wide in sight will need some room has got nowhere to go right now noontime gem is in between horses and a wide move from binkster they're about four clear 
from Gallant Plunger, Our Man Luke, and Christopher would have to pass them all. 22 flat for a pressured opening quarter. Acceptable risk has got a neck in front, but has company now. Here comes Binkster to the outside, and Binkster is put ahead in front of Acceptable Risk, who's back to second and battles on. Binkster kicks for home. It's Binkster who's up by two lengths. Acceptable Risk is back to second, trying to run on late. Here comes a run from Christopher from far, far back. It's Binkster in front, approaching the 16th. Christopher's got a lot of momentum, is rolling down the center of the racetrack, coming after Binkster. Binkster, Christopher, Binkster will hold off Christopher. Binkster gets the win, Christopher, then acceptable risk, and a photo in sight and noontime gem. And the number three, Binkster, gets it done, paying 980 with an 80 buyer. Acceptable risk off that trainer change finishes third as the favorite, dropping from an 83 to a 71. Uh, Christopher's coming, but I mean, if, if I've seen that ride a thousand times, I just know I'm never going to get there in the end. Yeah, uh, that's true. It was, uh, this was my, to be honest, this was my first time watching uh, Mammoth this, this, uh, mm-hmm. this meet with the no whips. And I don't know what's happened the first couple weeks or something like that, but I'm sure some closers have, have, have won the race. But oh boy, I just, closers with no whips, uh, sprinting, I don't know. Yeah, that's just, uh, the horse ran his race, though, you know, uh, ran, ran a fine race, ran a 76 buyer, improved by four points. Uh, it was going in the right direction. Um, just the old class horse just pulled it out. And I feel like as well, at 10 to 1, I feel like the four-point improvement isn't going to make this horse 5 to 2 on the line next time. So, I mean, we still might be able to get 7 or 8 to 1. And if yeah, he doesn't run sure. into this one and keeps running into acceptable risk, you know, he'll, he'll end up winning a couple of these. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. I, he just keeps coming up, put this horse in your stable. You know, maybe he gets a little bit more of aggressive out of the gate this time from, from, a, from the jock and uh, maybe not be so far off the off the pace. I feel like, too, just getting back into Bankster, now the form reversal happens. The class drop obviously helped. I feel like next time, though, we'll see him in, like, the 32N2X, and I think this is an absolute play against because, obviously, I'm sure you've heard the when they say, you know, oh, you went to the – you went to the wedding, don't go to the funeral. And I feel like this one next time out will obviously jump back up in class. And I think we'll end up again with that 77, you know, 78 buyer again. Yeah. Depending on where he runs, maybe they'll take him up to Saratoga. And, uh, cause what well, he's done, he's done. Okay. at Saratoga before mm-hmm. he's been a couple seconds and stuff like that. So yeah. Uh, it all depends on where he comes back in. Uh, I don't really, what, what spots he going to run in? Like, I guess what you said, the N2 X, um, Probably a play against for me as well. He does have speed though, and speed's always, you know, if you're running, if you're if you're a speed horse and you're running, you're running fast early versus better horses, and now you're facing less horses. It does it does tend to wake him up. Um, you know, he just got the win this day, and we played someone who was ten to one, and I'll probably play him again tomorrow. Can't agree with you more there. Let's move on to our third race, race number eleven. Is a maiden special week going one on one sixty miles on the turf course. I was kind of prone to the horse and the rail with Paco and uh, Todd showing speed, and obviously gets a big, big jockey upgrade. And actually got no, no help at the betting window first time out eighteen to one for Todd. I just thought that was quite interesting, especially at Gulfstream Park. Would you like to, in here, Don? Uh, I kind of kicked myself in the butt because I, I did kind of like uh, this two horse a little bit and. Uh, I don't know why I ended up didn't making a win bet on this horse. Um, I kind of went with the three horse. It seemed like he was running against some some decent horses 
uh, down at Gulfstream. And uh, trainer switch to Kelly Breen. Uh, Nick Juarez, you know, the good combo. Uh, nice workout pattern coming into this. Seemed like he was pointing to this race. Um, you know, uh, that's who I went with. The, I went with the three horse. I feel like you kind of see the same buyers, though, a couple of times. And this is one that I was trying to avoid. Just obviously getting into the, the Kelly Breen barn obviously always helps a horse's you know, odds go down. I just kind of thought the 77, the 75, the 72, have we kind of already seen, even though this horse is three, have we already seen kind of what this horse is? I, I do get the slow improvement. I just didn't know exactly what, how much more Kelly was going to improve this horse. If any, like you said, the workout pattern was very nice and it's always good to see a bullet last time out. Not especially like we usually see it at three. This one was at five. So definitely a much, much better workout than, you know, we see from a lot of the horses, especially at maiden claiming or maiden special weight. Yeah, you know, and when you look at it, the horse, you know, he didn't improve. He dropped his buyer. He ran. He ran a. I don't want to give it away, but he he uh, was slower in this next race, and uh, you know, so that was definitely not a uh, good opinion in here. Were there any other like? Obviously, you're trying to get it down to one horse when you're looking at a race, and you're trying to get your contenders down. Like, how, what is your exact? process for that for me obviously i do the odds line i kind of figure out you know how many contenders i like and make their odds of how many times can they win a race out of 100 races get up to 100 percent, and then i just kind of play my overlays how do you kind of view your contenders in each race uh so i basically just go through and uh, every race and i just try to tell a story on why he's in here what's what's he doing in here uh what's the placement from the owners um and I just, can this horse win? Um, does he have to win? Um, that's kind of what I do. I don't look at the morning line. Mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of have that filter off on, on DRF formulator. Um, just try to just, just tell a story. And does this horse have to, can this horse improve 20 buyer points? Can this horse, you know, improve? That's just what, can he, can he do something better today? Uh, that's what I'm just trying to ask myself. For me, it was number one, Freer. For Donuts, he's pure gold. Let's see who can break their maiden here in the 11th right now. They're off. Shuffle to the back of the field where Lumino is the trailer. 50 Shades of Grey has got the lead. It's 50 Shades of Grey with a neck in front. Mild pressure to the inside from Freer and taken off the pace. Two-step and Kluke. Then comes Inappropriate is going to be in the fourth position with he's pure gold in fifth. From the outside post, Tiz of Prince has found a spot. Also hurried along is Armor of God. Is towards the back of the field with James Madison. Neotropic and not keeping up right now. Lumino can see them all. About 15 off the lead. 50 Shades of Grey is alone up front. Tipping off the rail. Freer wants to move forward. Here's Freer to split rivals maybe with two-step and Kluke. No, keeps that one hemmed in. These are the top three. He's pure gold. Just had to check. Got passed by Inappropriate and also Tiz of Prince. They travel as a pair. James Madison out in the center of the course. Neotropic tailing off Armor of God. And now getting closer is Lumino, still eight off the lead. They work up the backstretch. 50 Shades of Grey still in front is up by a full length. To the inside there comes Freer is trying to get closer to this leader with two-step and Kluke still keeping that rival hemmed in. 
Wide rally coming from Tiza Prince as they get set to move into the far turn. No room yet for Freer, who's got run, needs somewhere to go. He's pure gold, is launching that rally from fifth. Inappropriate's lost some ground. Neotropic, James Madison, Lumino, just not today. At the back, it's Armor of God. They approach the quarter mile pole. 50 Shades of Grey is still well in command, and 50 Shades of Grey turns for home. He's pure gold, is now in pursuit. Freer finds some room down towards the inside with Tiza Prince. They're still chasing 50 Shades of Grey, who's still in front by two. 50 Shades of Grey keeps finding. Now He's Pure Gold is coming after this leader. 50 Shades of Grey is tiring. He's Pure Gold in the late stages. 50 Shades of Grey, He's Pure Gold. Got to be a tight photo. 50 Shades of Grey look to hold off an oncoming He's Pure Gold. Further back inappropriate than came. And the number two, 50 Shades of Grey wins at paying 25 40 69 buyer. Get that small improvement up. Obviously, when the number one horse and the number two three horse both decline and buyers i don't really know how i feel overall about this race but i know that i'm pretty disappointed that i picked uh picked the chalk horse and came and hit the board yeah I, I i was really bad i mean second time second time starters they can improve 30 points if they you know 20 points whatever it is and the horse didn't have a uh a, a smooth journey the first time was off slow and made a made a nice move around the turn and kind of steady a little bit and I don't know what what I was doing. Um, you know, maybe the three would have won if there's a whip in there, <laughs> but because the two was definitely slowing down at the end of the race and was gasping for the wire. Um, don't really know how good this field is. Probably not that good, um, but definitely, 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 definitely shouldn't have uh, could have had this two horse. I was looking at him and uh, just made a mistake in that one. I, I think the. To what I'd spoken about before we did the race replay and the 18 to one for a Todd Pletcher with, even though it's Edgar Prado at Gulfstream park, just seems like it's just how many debuters does Todd Pletcher have that go over at above 10 to one and still run. Well, maybe the, maybe the money on the board was the telling sign that the horse was going to run well today and maybe not run well the next time out. Yeah. Uh, especially like, you know, I don't know how many of Todd's, you know, good horses are starting off at Gulfstream uh, April 24th after the championship meet. Um, no money first time out, and they paid a good penny for him. I don't know. Um, definitely the just had the opinion wrong. And uh, the two – I mean, second-time starters. Like, second-time starters can improve so much. Um, I, I tend to pick a lot of second-time starters in maiden races, and – Ugh, red boarding at its finest. It is just a $25 horse that you're not going to get back, and it's a, it's a shame. <laughs> Let's move on to the last race of this podcast. Race number 13 from Monmouth Park is an N1X allowance, one mile on the turf. What would you like in here, Dylan? Oh, boy. So my horse is still running in this race. Um, my, I, I ended up picking the nine horse in this race. Oh, you know, he was improving towards the, towards the end of his year last year or towards the beginning of this year, his numbers. And I know that was on dirt. Um, but I just, I like some of his, his maiden claiming races. I have some trip notes on him that he actually had a really nice closing kick. Um, and, you know, I just thought with the, with the freshening, with the time off, you know, he was improving his numbers. Uh, maybe he gets back onto the grass and, you know, can close him down. There wasn't, you know, red boarding, I, you know, he just, I was afraid of a wide trip uh, from the nine post. And, you know, I didn't think there was a ton of pace in here. So it was, 
I just I was kind of just sucked into playing this horse, um, just because I had some couple trip notes on him at, at Gulfstream before, and I know this horse has has got a good kick in him, and I just didn't want to see this horse win and pay fifty bucks and me not have him. Let's talk about the favorite, Chad Brown, Dylan Davis. I, I thought it was interesting in this race. First of all, the horse had lost twice as the favorite. I'm sorry, I'd, I'd won the second race at the favorite, lost the debut. It was a third different rider now, went from Javier to Manny, now to Dylan. I thought that was a little bit strange, knowing that, you know, I thought maybe Chad would have someone shipped down, or at least, you know, obviously Dylan did ship down, but I, I thought it was very, very strange to have three separate riders on. Usually with Chad, you'd kind of see, like, the brothers or Javier for sure on the turf. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really, me personally, like I said, I'm not, I'm not a big jockey guy on why this horse is riding and why he's not. Um, I mean, I don't think Manny would be shipping down or Javier would be shipping down to ride this, this maiden winner. Um, especially in just in, you know, in a first level allowance race. Um, so I, I don't really care for that, but the horse, you know, he was getting first start Lasix. He had, he was running slow numbers, you know, I, I mean, but you know, a two a two year old at the end of his year running a seventy, it's not terrible. He can definitely improve. Um, and he was bet both times first out. So, you know, I wouldn't have been shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if this horse wins the race, and uh, you know, and pays six bucks. It's just it's not my thing in a wide open race. Um, but if he was better than them, then he would beat him. For me, tell me if you haven't heard heard this before. Todd Pletcher Paco for me uh, just raced against Con Lima. That is Calworth Park. And I just thought the class drop was going to help out of the honey ride. Obviously, Conlin was a very, very good, solid horse, and this horse had trouble in that race. Big, big jockey upgrade for me from Rajiv over to Paco. And I just kind of thought that Todd had an idea with this horse and that they were going to try to, uh, you know, just ship up and not go to Naira. And I thought they were trying to find a nice little soft spot here at Monmouth. Yeah, no, that was the other horse in here. Uh, I thought he, you know, although he was running a 76, 73, 73, the same, uh, you know, his last two races weren't bad versus uh, Con Lima, who got a beautiful ride at Belmont from Flavian Pratt that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, this was the other horse of mine, um, just the four and, and the bomber on the outside. For me is Coweth Park. For Donuts Toned Up, let's see who can get their first level allowance right now. And they're off. Speed from the inside, Pugilis and Ella's Island in the early mix. Then comes Hira and the Lime Green Silks. Three of them across the course. It's going to be Pugilis to poke ahead in front. Down to the inside is Ella's Island. Goes right with this front runner as they speed into that first turn. Taking off the pace is Coworth Park is looking for room. Amortization is in between horses in the fifth position. Out wider is Hira who's in fourth. Bend around this first turn. Also trying to save some ground there is Champagne Horizon. Who keeps double blessed hemmed in as they're going to be towards the back. Toned up as a touch wide. The two at the back, I Hear You and Strong Gem can see them all. Pugilis and Jose Ferrer. They're up by a length and three quarters. They're tracking in second is Ellis Island. Heroes in third. Saving ground to the inside is Coworth Park. Amortization is in a tight spot in between runners in the fifth spot. Then Champagne Horizon has worked up into that mix. Is dropping back there was double blessed. I Hear You, Strong Gem and Toned Up. Being hustled along is at the back of the field. 
Pugilist still in front. It's Pugilist up by a full length under a very tight hold. Going to corner into this far turn. Jose Ferrer and Pugilist try and take them all the way. Ellis Island is tipped into the two paths coming after this runner with Hira three wide in third. Cowarth Park is looking for room. Scooting through at the rail is going to pass some rivals here towards the inside. Champagne Horizon. Amortization is under a drive. Is dropping back. It's Pugilist at the top of the lane. Here comes the challenge to the outside from Cowarth Park coming after this front runner. Pugilist has got some kick to the inside. Pugilist, Cowarth Park, Ellis Island. From the back, here comes Strong Gem Champagne Horizon. It's still Pugilist finding up front with a 16th to go. Pugilist is fending them all off. Cowarth Park, Pugilist. Pugilist is up. Pugilist, Jose Ferrer, give him four. And the number three, Pugilist wins, paying 12.40.74. Buyer, slight improvement for this one. Just seems to kind of run the same race in and out every single race, and this one was good enough to get it done. Yeah, you know, he's pretty much, what is this, one, two, three. He's ran mid-70s pretty much the last to low 70s, the last 10 races or something like that. And, you know, Ferrer just put him on the lead and and uh, just kind of nursed him along nicely. Never really never really looked like a loser at all in the race. I thought there would be a little bit more, more pace pressure. I thought maybe the two would be aggressive out of the gate. Um you know, I thought who was this? The other horse. Uh, I thought the seven uh, would, you know, show a little, show a little bit more pace, and it would be not contentious, but they would be, you know, they'd be, they'd be hitting up there, and maybe my my uh, toned up could sneak in and save some ground. But he was wide first turn, wide second turn, and uh, still looking for him to finish. I think too, just looking at this race in general, uh, this horse for me was a proven loser. I lost too many times at this type of level. And I think, sure, you you lose on the day, but I think you gain some good info in here in that when all these horses come back in this first level allowance, if they've already all lost to the proven loser type like this one, it's kind of hard to take any of these back in the next race when they're going to be facing horses that, you know, maybe are only second, third time at the level and seem to be improving. Sure. No, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, I already, to be honest, I already put a note in my, uh, in my thing that this was a weak field mm-hmm. and, uh, um, just to be very careful of even if some of these horses are coming back and dropping just to take a, take us another second look. I mean, like, Hey, he ran in a pretty, pretty weak race last time. And none of these horses ran, um, at, at all in this race. I, I will say this just from watching the couple of race replays and just watching a couple of the races on, on the day, it seemed to be like just pace and speed. I mean, obviously it's mom of the park. So speed has always been very good. Kind of same like with Southern California, I feel like now with the with the whip rule as well, I think just really focus, you know, it's okay to put those closures in second and third, but I think, you know, being within two lengths is really, really helpful or just being on the outright lead, especially right now at Monmouth Park. Yeah, my strategy for the next, uh, for the rest of the Monmouth card or for the next Monmouth meet is just not to play it. Uh, it was just, it was tough. I, I felt like I was really off. Um, I had some pretty crappy opinions. Um but it just, I don't know, it just wasn't appealing to the eye watching these horses, watching these jockeys not whip them. And it just seemed like they were slow. It just, uh, I don't know, it just, it wasn't wasn't appetizing. Um, I don't know, I know there's going to be some stakes races. So, you know, maybe, you know, I'll probably get sucked in and play like a better stakes race to win. But like on some of the big days, but. I don't know. It was just, it wasn't appealing to the eye and uh, I don't know. It was, it was just difficult. I, I just, all 13 races I thought were, thought were difficult. I, I just couldn't quite 
get a grasp on it. I think for me, I'll play devil's advocate here. I think that with how many different tracks are around the country, obviously, if you have to play in a tournament, it's just Mammoth Park. That's that's the way it is. And I feel, for me at least, if I'm I can play any of you know ten, twelve tracks a day, and you know maybe some days it'll be Mammoth, maybe some days it won't. I'm not too scared of it right now. I kind of feel like I have an idea of you know. Obviously, like I just talked about with the pace, I think that just looking at and trying to find those speed horses that I think are a little bit overlaid might end up being uh, a little bit profitable for me this summer with so many people trying to stay away. Obviously, the handle numbers are down, but I think that people will come around, and I think that it's not the worst thing we've ever seen in racing. Obviously, there's been much, much worse things that have happened, but I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited for the Haskell. No, it's always a, a interesting race, and I think now with this new "quote unquote" wrinkle, I think it'll be a definitely interesting card to say the least. Yeah, like that that race on uh, on Sunday with uh, Mandaloon and Weyburn, that yeah. was pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, I was quite confused the whole the whole stretch drive. I was like, "What is taking place right here?" Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I say I'm not going to play it, but I know if there's a stakes race and there's a horse that that pops up from the stable that is in the right spot and I can tell a, tell a good story, then, you know, I might make a win bet, but just these moments always been tricky for me in general, because I just, you know, I feel like, you know, some of these horses are shipping down from Naira. Is it just for easier spots or they just, they're no good anymore. I don't know. I've, I've never been a big mammoth player in general, unless it's been like on a big, those big days. Um, it was just difficult, you know? So, I'm not going to try to force anything that uh, that doesn't come easy. I want to thank Dylan Donnelly for coming onto the podcast and kind of telling a story with me today on episode 100 of Redboard Rewind. Dylan, where can people find you on social media to talk to you about some races? Uh, my name is uh, Donnelly Racing, I believe. Uh, I post sometimes, uh, not a lot, um, but you know, I'm always checking funny things on Twitter and people complaining. It's it's pretty funny. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Well, episode 100, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, appreciate all the help, support, PTF, JK, everyone from the Money Media. Here's uh, here's to 100 more. I can't have done it without my special guest, Dylan Donnelly. I want to thank him for coming on. And, you know, we're moving on towards Saratoga and Del Mar and then on the Breeders' Cup. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's present is Pierre Thomas Forntail. Our Chief Creative Officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In the Money Media Business Manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.